meant to cause you any sorrow I never meant to cause you any pain Only wanted one time just to see you laughing Welcome once again to Pod Like a Hole, Season 3, Run the Gamut, where we cycle through various artists in their probably best-known albums in random order, guided by a diamond dice. If you joined us last week, you know that we talked about the first half of Prince's Purple Rain. Tonight, we will talk about the second half of the album, and we will also be joined by the Sly Dog from the Sly Dog Podcast to go into Prince's history a bit more in depth. So thank you for joining us, and we're going to start things off with talking to the Sly Dog, followed by the second half of Purple Rain with Eric, Mark, and Steve. Purple Rain, Purple Rain Thank you for coming on tonight. Uh, the reason we have you here is, uh, you know, when we announced the new format, you messaged us and we started talking, and you basically said, if you guys want to talk about Prince, I know a guy, it's me. But I w- really wanted to talk to somebody that knew what they were talking about as far as his history goes, and uh, just the, the overall Prince thing. And awesome. uh, Eric and I were like, this guy might might be the guy. So before we get into that, though, you are from the Sly Dog Music Cast. Yes, I listened sir. to uh, quite a few episodes. I do think Thank we you. actually we actually kind of might have uh, you know bit your style with our new format uh, as far as, <laughs> uh, as, far as uh, jumping around to different artists that just suit your fancy. But uh, tell us tell us a little bit about your show and where to find you and why you started right. it. 
Right. Well, I started a show because uh, I just love talking music and uh, the whole podcasting thing blowing up in the last few years like that is really, you know, I listen to a lot of them and I go, I could do that. I could talk about music. And originally my plan was to kind of do a more of an interview based thing because I tend to get annoyed with interviewers a little bit. I feel like they ask a lot of softball questions. So I figured like I can talk to bands I like and ask the questions I'd want to ask as a fan. So I started the podcast with that intention, but it kind of ended up being, you know, it's not exactly that easy to get people to say yes to being on your podcast, unfortunately, unless you have some clout. So I kind of started doing these musical discussion episodes with friends and other podcasters, and I've really enjoyed doing that as well. So now the show's kind of a balance. I've done some interviews. I've interviewed uh, Andy Powell from the band Wishbone Ash. I interviewed uh, Dylan Slocum from the band Spanish Love Songs. Um, I just interviewed uh, Brian Vollmer from Helix. That'll be a new episode. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of the balance I do. And I've done, I try to do a Prince episode every year. In fact, one of my earliest episodes is I did a Prince episode in 28, no, 2019. I did, I did a Prince episode in 2019 with my favorite comedian, Christopher Titus, who was cool enough to come on the show. And uh, that episode's one oh, of my yeah. biggest ones. And uh, we kind of ended up becoming friends. He invited me to his Prince party. It was really cool. Well, that's uh, very cool. Yeah, he, I, he I was, like to imagine you recorded it live and you gave him a, a, a like a light hanging down that he could grab and 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 speak uh, speak into instead of a microphone. <laughs> oh, I watched. I watched a lot of that show. Well, you know, yeah. There's plenty. There's plenty of I, I find there's plenty of music podcasts out there, and the hosts. You're only as good as your hosts. Yeah. So, you know, that's uh, that's where the difference is, and I think we all pass the test. Awesome. And, uh, I'm feeling, if I'm feeling a little overconfident, not narcissistic, just a little overconfident tonight, that's because I'm influenced by the topic. Uh, Prince, you know, he never shied away from saying he is the best. Oh, so yeah. we're the Prince. best as well. He is Prince and he is funky. And that's a uh, that's a great way to actually kind of like parlay into the Prince thing. Actually, actually, before maybe we get into the history, do you want to hear my backstory with Prince before I jump into? Uh... Yes, that's uh, that's that is the format. So to, you tell us your history and then you tell us. All, all there is to know about Prince from your perspective. All right. So I started with Prince. Like I said, it started in 2017. I got to shout out the podcast that I bit my style from Pods and Sods. Uh, they did a whole week in uh, uh, April 2017 where they did they went through like all the Prince albums that came out on Warner Brothers. And uh, I honestly up to that point, like I, I was aware of Prince. I knew uh, I knew Kiss. And I might have known like one other song, maybe Raspberry Beret, but I that was all I knew. And those are great songs, but I'm really a rock guy. So I never really dove any further into him. Like I didn't even know he like I knew he played guitar, but I didn't know he played like lead guitar. So after listening to those episodes, I was like, I should really like at least, you know, as a as a serious music fan, I should give Purple Rain a try. So yeah, I, actually, if I could if I could interject, interject there, that's one thing that I've I've found over the years is that yeah, I always knew of Prince, but as a metal guy, I didn't I didn't know he was the one shredding half the time. And then when I discovered the guy could shred, it was like a whole other world for me. Oh, yeah. Once once you hear realize that's him playing Let's Go Crazy for the first time, it blows your head off. And to hear that record for the first time, to put it on, like I remember I bought it. Off, I still buy CDs. I bought it off Amazon and uh, it gave you a little instant download. So I downloaded that and I put it on. And I was just immediately taken back. I'd never heard Let's Go Crazy before. I'd never heard When Doves Cry before. And hearing these songs for the first time, it was just mind-blowing. Beginning too. So Prince starts 
in a band called Grand Central in the mid 70s. He's I'd say about 75, 76. It's mostly a cover band. And uh, his, some of the future uh, Prince uh, proteges are in that band. Andre Simone, Morris Day is playing the drums. And uh, that's kind of where the Minneapolis sound started. It was kind of born out of the bands that Prince loved, Earth, Wind and Fire, Sly and the Family Stone. Those bands had horn sections. Um, they did not. They did not have like they couldn't afford those instruments or like they wanted to keep the band smaller. So they kind of augmented their sound with keyboards. So when they would play songs like, you know, Shining Star by Earth, Wind and Fire live, they were playing, you know, the horn parts on a keyboard. And that kind of they kind of figured like, well, we can use that to fill out our sound. If we're not, you know, if we don't have the horn section, we can fill out our sound with the synth. And that kind of became the basis of the Minneapolis sound. It was very synth heavy and the guitars were also a little more in your face. Like there's that kind of, like, you know, chimey, strummy funk guitar. But when it comes to a lead, it is a real, really like an in your face, like Santana style, like solo type thing. That By he's the doing. way, I cast all my votes for the Yamaha horn section. I'm a, I'm a big fan of that sound. Oh, yeah. Continue. Oh, totally. Yeah. And uh, there's a great story about the Yamaha one, actually, that I'm going to get to. So Grand Central is gigging around Minneapolis, and he started to work on a demo tape with a guy named Chris Moon, uh, who had industry connections, introduced him to a guy named Owen Hunsey, who heard the original demo that Prince recorded. He recorded all the music, you know, all instruments, all voices, everything. And uh, basically, they hyped him up so much to all the majors that a bidding war started. And the only reason he signed to Warner is he wanted total creative control. Like he wanted to play everything on the first album. He wanted to sing everything and he didn't want anybody interfering. Like the other labels wanted, you know, like a co-producer. Like I think, I think MCA wanted like uh, Vernon White from Earth, Wind & Fire to produce him, but he wanted to totally do his own thing. So, and Warner let him do that. So he signed with Warner in like 77 and recorded the album For You. That's his first record. It came out in 78, and it, that's very strong in the Minneapolis sound. A lot of keyboard, a lot of heavy guitar, and it has a bit of a top 20 hit on the R&B chart with uh, uh, Soft and Wet, but uh, it didn't make a dent anywhere else, really. Like, the album's really good, if you get to check that one out, but, like, you know, there's so much other Prince stuff that it kind of gets lost in the shuffle, and it was an interesting starting point for, for him. He didn't really tour on that one. He started to put a band together at the label's, like, insistence, and started to do some shows and then he kind of quickly followed up that album with the self-titled Prince album uh, which had his first big hit uh, I Want to Be Your Lover which also which went top 20 on like the you know top 200 chart that was a huge song for him and the album went platinum and he started touring he toured with uh, Rick James and uh, on that tour uh, Rick James actually stole Prince's keyboard uh, the last night of the tour took it home with him wrote the song Super Freak on it, and then sent it back to him in Minneapolis and said, thanks for the hit. So just a funny <laughs> little uh, aside there. That, wow. So, yeah, that little uh, <laughs> hit kind of like came about because of the Prince tour. So he's starting to build up. Want to be a level was big, but nothing else on that album really took off. And then he kind of shifts gears a bit. He records the album Dirty Mind. That's a lot more, uh, it's a lot more new wave, muted guitars. Uh, the synth is still there, but he's still playing all the instruments and it's a very that album if you heard it's very you know prince is very sexual but that album is like everything is sexual on that album like there, you don't get like a like a love thy will be done type break song like no that like you get head you get sister which is about incest uh you get do it all night like that is a raunchy album and the label was kind of like uh we, we don't there's, we not, don't. Yeah, there's not a lot of not a lot of subtext going on there oh it's, no uh, it's 
text. <laughs> oh no, no, that is a, yeah, that album is filthy. Like the label was almost getting ready to drop him, but some of the advanced copies had already gone out to the press, and they're and the press is like, "This is great. This is one of the best albums that's going to come out this year." And the label is kind of like, uh, "Okay, we'll put it out, see what happens." And it didn't have a hit like the last record did, but it did well. It did well enough. It started to sell. He started to become a bit of a live draw. And kind of off the back of that, he released Controversy in 1981 to more critical su- success, uh, built a bit of a strong following, kind of tried to appeal to the punk crowd by being punk funk. And the songs on that album are a little more guitar driven and in your face, like a song like Sexuality, where he's just screaming into the microphone. Like he was really like he's trying to get noticed at that point. He's trying to break into the bigger scene because he's having hits at that point still, but they're on the in the eighties, what was called the black chart, not the R and B chart. He was charting on the black chart, not the top 40. So he, and he wanted to break out of that. He always said he wanted, he didn't want to be a black artist. He wanted to be an artist. So he's still like trying to build his following. And this is when he kind of starts to branch out. He puts together the time uh, with Morris day. He puts together Vandy six, and then he starts working on 1999, which is considered his breakout. But there was a lot of, there's a lot of work that went into making that album a breakout. So he put that out in 82. The title track is the first single and it flopped. It straight up stalled on the charts. The tour did not do well. Some people were saying he's getting blown off stage by the time they were performing better than him. Some of the new songs, which were like nine or 10 minute songs were just not translating well to the live show to the point where he stopped the tour. He pulled the band off the road and he redeveloped it. And while he was off the road, he remixed the song little red Corvette and prepped it for a single release and he put it on and he put that out as a single. And when he went back on the road, he started to build like the art, the audience started to get a little more diverse and he started to sell out more. And then that became the video went into heavy rotation on MTV. In fact, uh, in one of the Prince books I read, uh, I think it was a Brown Mark from his band that joked every night they would do, uh, the white count, like, you know, like it's, it's 20% white people tonight. Oh, it's 40% white people tonight. Now it's, you know, 80% white people, you know, just cause you know, the audience was expanding at that point. So then he's finally starting to, you know, he's, he has hits now. He's a bit more well-known. And so what does he do next? He, he obviously, like I said, he didn't want to be, you know, just a black artist. He wanted to be, you know, an artist. He wanted to break out of like any, you know, misconceptions that people might have of him or like box that people wanted to put him in. So that's where we get to nice good well yeah that's that is a history um so yeah we're getting we're getting into you know purple rain and and i you know uh i'm definitely curious what you think about this 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 part of his history what was he trying to do on this so like i said at at, at this point he's trying to shed you know he doesn't want any misconceptions about him he wants to be you know a superstar at this point he wants to be the biggest thing on the planet, you know, he wants to be, you know, more than just, you know, like a guy that has a few hits and is like, kind of has a cult fan following. So he starts talking to Warner brothers about doing a movie. And they basically told him like, if you can get people like, you know, like real people in the industry, like in the film industry interested in doing this, then we'll consider it at least. And he got a guy, uh, I forget what, what, what movie this guy, guy directed. I forgot to write it down, down. I feel like an idiot now, but, uh, (laughs) He got a guy to help him write a script and the original script for Purple Rain that was written during the uh, 1999 tour was very dark. Like I just uh, the in Prince's uh, book that came out, like that's like, you know, his unfinished autobiography. There's basically the summary for the original Purple Rain there and the original Purple Rain with vanity in it is a very different story 
like he's still in a band and is still kind of partially autobiographical, but he's kind of, he's supposed to be schizophrenic. Like he's supposed to be like scarred by this childhood trauma. And he kind of like tends to like, you know, have freakouts on stage where he'll like start screaming Bible verses at people or like he'll go or he'll get caught, you know, masturbating in public or something like that. Like it's a really different story. And the movie ends with him like losing the battle of the bands against the time. And he goes home and he commits suicide. But after he pulls the trigger on the gun, he wakes up screaming. So the whole movie was a dream. So it was a much different. Yeah, it was a much different vibe than the original. You know, the original, you know, is kind of like an it's almost a nightmare. I mean, it was going to be called dreams, but it feels more like a nightmare. Mm. And the new what, what we got essentially is more of a. I wouldn't say it's necessarily like the total feel good movie. I mean, he slaps the taste out of Apollonia's mouth, you know, pretty hard in that movie, but you know, the ending is a lot, is a lot happier in that movie. Like, you know, he, there's a, I know there's a shot in the movie we got that, uh, where you see him hanging from the stairs for like half a second, but you know, everybody, you know, kind of comes out in that movie. Okay. And the original, it was very different. So he basically, wrote the script and then he got his band. Everybody in the band had to take acting classes. Same went for the time and vanity six and then Prince and vanity broke up. So he wasn't feeling the script anymore. And he dropped a song from the soundtrack called electric intercourse, wrote the beautiful ones and it changed the whole vibe of the movie. So he got someone else in to rewrite the script and that became purple rain. It was supposed to be like a semi autobiographical, but you know, entertaining movie. It was supposed to be kind of funny and Warner Brothers at first was like, oh, okay, this this could do all right. And they they gave him the money to shoot it, filmed it. And the whole time he's filming this movie, he's also, he's recording an album for Sheila E where he's writing everything and playing all the instruments except the drums. He's writing an album for the time where he plays most of the instruments. He's writing the Purple Rain soundtrack. He's writing most of the album that would follow Purple Rain around the world in the day. He's writing the album for the family. So he's working on like five or six different projects. It's a very prolific period for him. He's just cranking stuff out. Like, it's ridiculous. Like, if you go in, there's a website called princevault.com, and you can go chronologically and just see what he was working on which day each year. And it is really insane. Like, he would just keep going. Like, he would just cycle through engineers. Like, one would come in and work their shit for them, and then would leave, and he'd get another one, and he'd just work them. Hmm. So he he's, was very prolific. And after the acting classes and everything, they shot the movie in Minneapolis and uh, they turned it in and they did a test screening and it went over really well. And Warner brothers was really skeptic after that. They're like, this is a Hollywood crowd. Let's send it to like, you know, the Midwest somewhere and see how it does. And it did really well there too. So they kind of like, Oh, we might have something here. So <laughs> they, they pushed out the first single wind doves cry, which was, a big deal at the time. That song didn't have any bass. Uh, it was really different than what he'd done before. Uh, but that song took off like a rocket. Like that song and the B-side 17 Days got a lot of play on the radio. So that led up to anticipation for the movie and the album. So the album came out in, I want to say this, in the summer. Yeah, it came out in like early in the summer, in June. And then in late July, early August, the film came out and that was massive. And Prince had basically told everybody at the start of this, okay, so I've got this vision. You got to commit at least two years to me. And uh, we're going to, we're going to do this. This thing's going to be huge. We're going to be on a world tour. We're going to keep playing and we're going to play and play and play. 
And the band was like, all right, let's do this. And by the time the movie is taken off, he's kind of like, he's already reluctant. Like, oh, I don't know. I want to, do, I don't want to do a big tour. And uh, I'm kind of over this already. I'm working on this album called around the world in the day. I'm already to move on to that. Like, what if, why don't we just skip the purple rain tour? And I go right to around the world in the day. And the label's like, are you on, are you on crack? No, no, you have to tour behind this thing. Like you're like two singles deep into this album. Like, like, no, you got, you got to go out and tour. So he kind of reluctantly went out and toured behind purple rain and then two weeks before the Purple Rain tour was supposed to end, Around the World in the Day came out. And then he said at the end of that six month tour, like, I'm done touring. This is it. You know, like, I've, I've had my fill. I'm going to be a studio artist after this, basically. He was, the plan was to go Beatles at that point. And Around the World in the Day came out. And that was, you know, that was going to be, you know, it at that point, basically. <laughs> Uh, and what about like what would your you know what would your top three Prince albums be? Well, I'm gonna say definitely has to be Purple Rain in there, and then the other two I gotta go the Gold Experience. It came out in 1996. Uh, that album is kind of it's one of his more rock oriented albums. Uh, it was like the one of the last ones he did with Warner Brothers, and it kind of got held up for a while. And I think having a hit single like out for a year before the actual album dropped kind of hurt the. Uh, momentum of it a bit but man like go go back and check that one out that's endorphin machine uh 319 uh billy jack bitch that's a great record if you like the guitar driven stuff and then just for a little bit more of a the funky r&b side of things i'm also quite partial to uh i'm quite partial to love sexy honestly i think that's a great record it's lyrically a little more uh spiritual but man that is an album that you can shake your ass to it's a great record it came out in 88 um it was basically his response. He did an album called the black album and then, uh, he was going to release it, but he deleted it last minute because like, like from least basically, cause he said if he felt it was evil and if he died, he didn't want that to be the last thing people heard from him. So he did love sexy, which is supposed to be a more positive record, hmm. but you know, like taking aside, you know, like the more spiritual lyrics on that record, you can dance to that thing. And it is incredible. Nice. Nice. Good deal. Well, hey, I appreciate the background, and I think uh, I think our listeners got a uh, three course meal in Prince uh, Prince history. So awesome! Thank awesome. you. I think we're all set. To thank talk. you for having. Thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun. Yeah. So go listen to Slide Dog Music Cast. Um, thank you. That's thank you. Right. <laughs> all right. Well, hey, we're gonna let you go now and get back to our episode. But thank you guys. Here, here. What's next? I would die for you. I would die. Number four, letter U. Eric, would you die for me?
Steven just, yeah, yeah. I mean, as long as it wasn't like painful or laborious, I mean, but hey, listen, if we were hanging out and you stumbled into a train track and you got your shoe caught, you know, I would grab a hacksaw, cut your leg off at the foot and push you out of the way as a train hit me. So if that answers your question, I would die for you. Sure. It's a very, very in-depth story. So what about the song? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I Would Die For You is the most... Uh, it's, it's, it's incredible. The song is, is also played at weddings all the time. It's, it, it sounds like a love song, but it's not. It's a devotional song. It's a, it's a spiritual song. This is, this is done from, from Prince's uh, view of God. It's, it's gender neutral. I'm not a man. I'm not a woman. I'm something that you'll never understand. Um, and, you know, basically explaining the difference between, you know, loving God and loving a human, you know, I'll never beat you. Um, if you're evil, I'll forgive you. Um, yeah. Uh, and, you know, listen, hey, I'm not a religious person. We've talked about it often. In fact, for me personally, religious songs tend to get make my skin crawl and my hair stand up. But I don't know. This one is, uh, you know, listen, yeah, this one's fun. It's a it's it's a it's a blast. It is um, harmless, I think, which helps it. And um, it's it's great. Uh, and, and I think like, I don't know, I, you may you may have to edit this out. Let me see how I present myself here. But um, I don't like religious music at all. But Every now and then, like I'll hear like a spiritual song done by like a black choir for a for a black church or something like that. And while I don't share the belief, um, religion was liberating for you know historically for black people. So the, those songs in the churches were were just glorious, like celebrations of freedom and life and and, and hope. And and I think that's the difference between a lot of uh, you know. Uh, made more mainstream spiritual devotional music. And I hear that in this a little bit because this is a celebration of life and, and love for something else entirely. And while, while I won't share that, that connection, I definitely relate to the energy. And, 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 and so anyways, I don't know if that makes sense, but I, I, I uh, do really appreciate the song and the, and the, the composition is the hi-hats are going absolutely nuts um, this is a, probably the fastest pace song on this entire album. Um, a lot of fun. Ch uh, chugga chugga <laughs> is what I wrote in my, in my notes. Uh, and there's like this airship sound of rising in the sense it's, it's, there's some crazy shit going on in the background of the song. It's, it's a lot of fun. So that's, no, that's I do I share, said. uh, yeah. As a person that, uh, is not religious and I've actually, Oh my God. Lately, my older son, who's going to be five in December. Oh, he's always talking about death now. And like, is he, he never wants to die. Uh, will everybody in the world die one day? Uh, I, I can definitely see how people who might be like me might fall back on, uh, some of the tropes of Christianity, or other religions to try to make it easier yeah. just to talk to their kids about death. No, 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 no. There's life yeah. after death. It's like, There's it's almost like death. a cop out. That's <laughs> yeah. a total aside. But what my point is, uh, something I've been going through recently is struggling on talking about death with my son. Uh, 
but to this, yeah, I spiritual songs don't do a lot for me, but I also love Johnny Cash. Uh, I love Nick Cave and Nick Cave definitely goes through his spiritual thing. And I like to think that maybe some of the way Nick Cave writes some spiritual tracks is kind of the direction Prince is going in here. Um, to be fair, most of your metal bands are basically devotional music to yeah, a the different kind of God, the Lord of the Underworld. Uh, that's where the is that where the D elevator goes? I don't know. But before I get any more into my religious feelings, I'll ask that ever important question to Mark. Mark, would you die for me? Depends on what day it is. Um, but <laughs> yes, Stephen, I will jump in front of that bullet like I was Kevin Costner and you were my Whitney Houston. Fantastic. Um, let's 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 do a deep fake of that. <laughs> um this song, you know, I I didn't really pick up on the um religious overtones, but after reading the title and hearing Eric's explanation, it was sitting right there in front of me. You always hear that Jesus died for you and this and that and so I'm right with you guys. I don't necessarily have any religious bone in my body. I think it's all a bunch of mumbo jumbo, just trying to make people feel better about their existence now and uh, hopefully write off any bad behavior um, that they do. Um, but anyways, I don't have that same example that you have with your kids ask me about death. And if they asked me, I don't know if I would respond like Dr. Manhattan did in the Watchmen HBO series, or if I would tell them <laughs> that, uh, there is sky cake. I, I don't know which way I would go. Um, but this song, I will say that it on the face of it, it does have a little bit of repetition to it. Um, you have that synth work. That's like a buzzing wire. And that shooting laser kind of punctuates what Prince is saying that he would die for you. It's another rock solid vocal performance. And, you know, I, I don't know if I need to even say it any further. I mean, Prince can sing. He's an absolute fantastic singer. Um, the one part of the song that is fairly catchy is that dun, 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 dun. That's where it kind of breaks away from the, I wouldn't say monotony, but the repetition. Um, it's not one of the most favorite. It's not the one of the songs on, on this album that I, uh, have a good memory of. I always kind of have to reflect back and be like, okay, what song is this one again? Um, when I, you know, was writing notes and obviously talking about it now, I was doing that on the side while you guys were going through your, your bit, but, uh, it's still a solid track. So even though it's not a stellar track, I, think it's it's a great addition to this record it fits well and i also love how it transitions into the next track that's actually i think the reason that this song is not bad it's it's not even three minutes long to me it just i if i'm trying to talk about these songs i think of the next track uh it's just they're they're very similar uh spoilers i like the next track more um but this is you know this was an, this this was another single on the album. Um uh the, the singles by the way were the title track, this song, uh, Let's Go Crazy and When Doves Cry. And um it's up te- it's up up tempo. 
Can we agree that four singles for one album is pretty good? Yeah. That's, I mean, based on what we've covered, that's, yeah. that's above par. I would say two or three is you're, 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 especially when it's half the, so this is a damn near half the record. Um, it, it is a rave up. It's a, it's a good dancer. I think it's a cool palate cleanser after the last track, even though the last track is one of the most well-known songs of all time. It's not conventional. And I think this kind of brings it back down to earth a little. Um, I think this track and the next track are a cool one, two punch before the epic closer of just upbeat songs. Um, we talked about the lyrics a little bit there. there. There's nothing, nothing mind blowing sonically going on, but I do. I do like that part. You mentioned Mark, the dun, 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 dun. It's funny that almost after that part, I almost want to go chicka chicka like that. Bow, bow. Oh yeah. I don't know why it is, but, uh, it was, 80 sounds all kind of linked together for me there. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, one, one thing I do like about this track is the B side. Uh, did either of you read about another lonely Christmas? I, yeah, I listened yeah. to it. It, 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 it. You know what I like about it, Eric, because I'm glad you're the one to listen to it, is it totally sounds like a Tom Waits song uh, as far as the content goes. You know, about a guy that you know, he's talking about somebody dying on Christmas Day. I just have <laughs> pneumonia. I don't know. It's uh, definitely the, yeah. a Tom Waitsian yeah. uh, effect going there. Speaking, speaking of other artists, sure. uh, many of these songs in this album are covered. Every one of these songs has been covered multiple times, I think. Uh, to bring them all up would bog the podcast down. But one version of this song I really do like is a mariachi version of it by the band Mariachi El Bronx, which is the band The Bronx, but they have a mariachi side project. And they do a pretty fun cover of the song, which I think is worth uh, seeking out. Remember The Bronx, right? Okay. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They were a good, like, uh, just like, you know, you know, crotch to your face rock band. So it's. I ended up eventually seeing them open up for Refused. That's fun. So, that is "I Would Die for You," which transitions into another fast-paced track. Baby, I'm a star.
And Mark, you mentioned that you like the way it transitions, and do you also like the song it transitions to? I do. I do. Um, this song, it counts down, uh, and it gives that, that great live aspect. Um, it reminds me, and I know I mentioned this earlier, and it, this song came later, but the song Trust from Batman. Uh, especially mm-hmm. just like that melody, just how like I could absolutely picture Jack Nicholson's Joker shaking his butt to this on the parade float. And it kind of thematically would work because, you know, he's a star. And it, um, and I also. Uh, oh, sorry, yeah. Mark. Uh, just on that point, just Wikipedia told me that uh, Prince was pushing for this track to be that in that scene. And then once he actually got the contract, he re- he just did 200 balloons, and that was that was that was the song. But anyways, let me, just letting you know that was, he wanted this for the float scene. But then I had it no idea, and balloons. I first I thought that song was called Trust, not 200 balloons. But yeah, because uh, that makes sense. Uh, I had no idea. I had no idea. But it really does sound like they're kissing cousins. So thank you for pointing that out. Um. Thank you for making an erotic <laughs> reference like Kissing Cousins. Um, fit, 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 listen, Prince kissed his cousin, if not more. <laughs> um, <laughs> back to how this song sounds. Um, it sounds like it's a Big Tent revival uh, to go kind of back to that kind of soulful gospel sound. And three minutes in, we got a real stew going because the band and everyone is just throwing some of their personal ingredients into the pot. Um, some really, really fun, like keyboard work, synth work is happening. Um, the song is great. I, I absolutely picture, uh, backup dancers wearing really large suits, um, shimmying along and, uh, it's a great song. It's a fun, fun song. Yeah, no, definitely. It just keeps the move. The, I would die for you. Rave up keeps moving. And gets even more cooks. It cooks, if you will, to use your term, Mark. This song cooks. Eric, do you believe this song cooks? Oh yeah, oh yeah. And and when you see it in the in the movie, it's it's a climax. And I and I'll let you talk about that, Steve. But uh, this is one of the most. Uh, this is I I would have to assume this is one of the ones that was rewritten once he had a script of the movie because this one absolutely fits the story arc there, you know, Hey, look me over. Tell me, what do you see? I ain't got no money, but honey, I'm rich mm-hmm. on personality and just kind of talking about, you know, he's a scrappy underdog, but he's, he's got a star. There's a star inside of him. And, um, uh, anyways, uh, this, yeah, this, this song is, uh, is great. Um, this, uh, the synth work and the guitar work, for me, I this is the track I started laughing out loud when I was listening on my headphones. Uh, when I, the 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 back and forth between the synth and guitar towards the end, yeah, so good. Um, but yeah, no, this this is a great song. As far as I'm concerned, this would be the climax of the album. It's it's it's, it's great. Oh yeah, it, it is kind of the climax of the movie. It, well, the climax of the movie is Purple Rain, but this is kind of like they've won, if you will. I don't know how else to put it. They're respected, um, but. I, I, I like this song. This is kind of a, the stuff of life when it comes to this kind of music. 
this is a James Brown. Like you can't like I love I love songs that talk about like, oh, man, I'm going. You can't stop me. I, I'd love that genre. And it makes sense. Um, You know, his first song he learned on the guitar was Proud Mary. And he brings it. Uh, he'll he'll bust it out in live shows to the day he died. I mean, he played it during that uh, Super Bowl performance. And Proud Mary, you know, that's that's a total like, you know, going to keep on moving, going to keep going. And this song is definitely going to keep on going, going to keep moving track. Uh, it's a it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy in a this might seem out of left field, but like an Antichrist superstar kind of way, uh, a, an album about a person becoming a star when they already kind of are a star, but the album helps make them the actual star. This song is the culmination of all of that. They're, you know, all all just. It's it's everything he said. He's proving he's everything he said he was going to be. And this song moves so fast and has such a, a drive to it. And if you watch a live version of the song from that era, it's it's insane. He's putting his money where his mouth is. There's extended live version of this track. And he expected everyone to be on his level. Again, back to James Brown, kind of James Brown was a drill sergeant and James Brown would make you play live and he would point at you and, you know, call, call out uh, time signatures and looked at you in front of the audience and expected you to play the song and also not fuck it up. while he was like being a drill sergeant. Prince did that same thing. <coughs> Excuse me. He was like Michael Jordan. He'd expect you to be on his level. He was not a normal person. He was extraordinary and he was a star and he, and he would have his whole band there and they'd be playing like Sheila E in the live version of this. The, like she's playing the drums and he's like running back and forth and looking at her and pointing and like smiling and laughing. But also at the same time, she knows like, man, if I fucking miss a beat, he's going to call me out on it. Uh, this, this live version of this track is a perfect example of that mentality at the same time. While he's driving everybody be, to be the best version of themselves to play his music, it's still a party. Everyone's still having a great time. To strike that balance is insane to me. It's uh, it's awesome. There's like an unbridled joy, but also a drive to be better in, in this track. And I'm a sucker for it. Uh, you really feel like the confidence in the song is, is palpable. It's almost inspiring. Um, this is like if Tony Robbins could play music. It's 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 awesome. And uh yeah, the track itself, it's got a guitar a guitar solo. It's got some crazy like Gary Newman, Roger Troutman synths throughout the entire track buried in the mix. There's some awesome processed horns in it. It's uh to go back to James Brown, this is like James Brown meets Blade Runner. I I love this track. I think it's a great it's a great culmination of all the songs that came before it in a way right before we get into the crescendo of the record it's uh, I'm a big fan and I implore I implore you to to just google baby I'm a star live uh, like 1985 and you're just gonna have a good old time and you're gonna wish you would have saw Prince live because uh, it's it is otherworldly the performance they would put on for tracks like this and that's baby. I'm a star. And that is the second to last track before the title track of purple rain. 
the title track of Purple Rain, Purple Rain. From the very first note of this track, I will often, I my tear ducts almost start welling up. It's uh, it's a strange phenomenon. And uh, Eric, uh, does, do you have any kind of similar emotional reaction to this track like I do? Yeah, I mean the 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 melody is is thick with uh, with I don't know whether it's nostalgia. Or just connecting to uh, just a cinematic feeling of, of uh, I don't know, some weird kind of mix of loss and 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 hope maybe. But the song itself is about. I mean, it's it's pretty genius for a closer. It connects a lot of themes. Um, you know, I never wanted your weekend to be your weekend lover. I only wanted to be some kind of friend. And then it's a shame our friendship had to end. It's like yeah. It's this, this this idea that you know once you cross that rom- that romantic line, uh, sometimes I mean depending upon who you are, the friendship is lost, and now you're in a different stage. And and I think that's a pretty you know pretty deep idea right there that a lot of people don't think about. Um, I mean, obviously, you know we have our relationships, we 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 remain friends with our spouses and all that. Um, but I, I just looking at how the dynamics change, I think is what what this is about. But then he also layers in some some lyrics to kind of connect back to a few songs on here, where it's like the apoc you know, not the apocalypse, but the world's ending or life is ending, time is ticking, you know, appreciate what you have, you know, that kind of thing. So he 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 folds in some more of those lyrics, um, and uh, yeah, it's uh, you know. I think it's it's super emotional, and if you're not feeling anything, then uh, you know I would go ahead and have your batteries changed out at the Radio Shack. But uh, yeah, it's 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 a fantastic uh, closer um, to this album. What I love about this album may not—I don't always think about this song, but when I when I've sat through the whole thing and this comes up, I feel very satisfied at the end of this album. It, it does the trick. Mark, Purple Rain, the title track, how do you feel? 
It is the greatest power ballad of our time and maybe of all time. Amen. It's <laughs> it's guaranteed to bring any house down. Um, it gets your lighters in the air as this song is perfect for slow skating around the roller rink, slow dances, end of the night, drunken walks home, driving through uh, in your car on a rainy night. Um, it is an emotional powerhouse. Those lyrics of never meant to cause you any sorrow, never meant to cause you any pain. I only wanted to one time see you laughing. I only wanted to see you in the purple rain. Um, and I mean, and then he just goes on to say purple rain over and over again. And uh, the weekend lover and it's, it is such a great song. Uh, it is such a. Do we establish what uh, well, the word I don't think we, rain means? I'll let Steve. Yeah, do it, I don't. But, I don't yeah. think we can really establish it. There's different interpretations. I've read that one time he said something along the lines of like, "When the end of the world happens, uh, there will be rain and blood in the sky, and it will make purple rain." <laughs> I don't, did, you, did you guys read well, that? Yeah, <laughs> there. Yeah, there's red blood and blue blood, yeah. and then them together as yeah. purple yeah. so yeah yeah coming out to the end of time and having that blood in the sky raining down because most of the band members when they ask about it they're like, i have no fucking clue what he's talking about but <laughs> makes for some great imagery um and i always wondered what was his fascination with the color purple and i just never really researched it enough and it maybe stems from this one song um I would imagine because I don't think anything before this really he brought the color purple into the into the forefront. I mean, beginning of this record, we said watch out for or look for the purple banana. And um, now we're on purple rain. So <laughs> was it purple banana or purple bandana? <laughs> Everything. Every lyric site says banana. All right. Yeah. Banana. Yeah, Fantastic. I know. <laughs> um, but yeah, this song is. Uh, you're in Donkey Kong Country, and exactly. you're finding that extra. It's kind of like banana. the Steely Dan banana, if you get my drift. Um, but the this song is I, I can understand it being an emotional powerhouse to the point where it brings tears to your eyes, depending on if the mood is right. Great song, great song, great song, great song. Love it, love it, love it. Yeah, I obviously agree. Uh, by the way, uh, the the purple thing. Some people think it became from the fact that purple re- equals royalty his artistic name was prince yeah i don't know um uh, he was using purple in 1999 which was a few years before this also so i mean i think i mean <laughs> it's probably possible. he just realized he looks really good in purple and then he started but writing yeah, it know, around this, it. this track I, just, I can't say enough good things about it um i feel like i've known it all my life it's one of those songs just been there um I, you know, in, in researching and learning more about the band, I do love how the lyrics kind of represent what they were going through. And also in the movie, I think there was some real life stuff going on where they kind of like Wendy plays the opening guitar part of this song. She's like 19 years old, 20. And, um, you know, her and Lisa were actually from the, the, the West coast and their dads were like musicians in uh backup musicians for a lot of 60s artists from like Sinatra and the Beach Boys. And I think it's pretty cool that they then became 
they they inherited the talents of their their fathers, but then they warped them into what Prince was doing. And they were a big part of that that sound, and I think in this song, you really a lot of it comes together. Um, but yeah, you know, the, the the just that iconic, just that strumming, just that opening guitar is just just wonderful. And um, I didn't realize it. I've heard this song how many times before this podcast? Thousands. Who knows? I had no idea. I thought the crowd sounds were just like something they added to make it sound like the movie because it takes place in a nightclub. They recorded this live and then just did a couple of overdubs. That's incredible to me that a song. Yeah, it's yeah. The song this iconic. Oh, wow. Awesome. A, it sounds it doesn't sound live. Like you hear the clapping at the end, but I thought that was an added effect. No, they they played this. They played like an 11 minute version of it live, and they edited it down. And that's a, that's a, the version you get that we've all heard a billion times, which is awesome to me. Um, yeah, to your point, Mark, about it being a power ballad. He originally tried to give this to Stevie Nicks, and she thought it was a little much. Um, and he he wrote it because he was on tour with um i think bob seger <laughs> and uh and in in the, in the late 70s and early 80s and you know bob seger's got his big hits the turn the page and you know uh, we've got tonight and prince was like i want to do my own version of a track like that and his big power ballad was purple rain which has became like the ultimate power ballad um the, the the one of the lyrical lines that really stick out to me is the what is it you say you won't you don't want a leader but you don't want to be left behind and I think that represents what he was going through with the band and the push and pull that he would have behind you know he was a really determined hard to please leader of this group. But he also needed them. He couldn't do it without him. He couldn't. He didn't break through until he made the revolution become a band. Even though a couple of the tracks on this album, he plays everything on by himself, and he's front and center. They don't have the breakthrough they had without uh, being a, becoming a band like this uh, for this record. And I think some of the the lyrics uh, they don't spell it out, but that emotion gets through. Um. The song is just pure emotion. And uh, it's even if the lyrics sometimes don't reflect like word for word what you might be going through, the emotion they put you through, it it it, it definitely uh, resonates. And I've, I think I mentioned this on this, this, the podcast before. Uh, you know, my dog died earlier this year just when COVID was starting. Uh, <laughs> like the day after he died, I was outside like spraying down uh, <laughs> the last places he shat <laughs> like and I was just listening to this song, cleaning up my dog shit who died with a, a hose spraying it down. And it was one of the most like the life event and what I was hearing and what I was going through was just so ridiculously overwhelming, kind of comedic when you think of the fact that it involved my dog shit. But my dog just died. I was cleaning up the last things of my dog. This song is not about your dog dying, but all of it no. combined in the sound of the song still got me. And uh, 
it is about yeah. it is about things coming to an end and changing. Yeah, definitely. So, so I, I I don't think you're far off the mark there. Yeah, and so now, yes, when I listen to this song, I think about my dead dog every time. Thanks a lot, musical choices, Steve of March 2020. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think it's a beautiful song. Uh, it's the last song you played live. I'm sure that people have probably danced to it at their weddings, even though that's really not what it's about. It's uh, you know, I think a lot of people probably have this song as like a life moment song for them. And to the way the song sounds itself, uh, I'm talking about rising action, man. This song has like this build and this rise at the end with the, I mean, you got that guitar solo and then you've got the, the 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 falsetto like the whoa the woo you cannot beat that as far as vocalization goes the vocalization in this track everybody when they played this at the Super Bowl everybody was singing that part along with him I mean everybody knows that it's great it's just wonderful everybody wants to hear this song and sing along to that part and uh, yeah it's just it builds it builds it builds you've got that that wonderful like at the end there's this like cascading synth going on and I I can't say enough good things about it um, it's a great great closer it's a great ballad it's a great fusion of rock and roll and gospel and just a great damn song it's a not, not much more you could say besides A plus for Purple Rain's title track. That's right. Purple Rain. That's right. that's going to be a theme on this show like oh yeah it's cracked it's great exactly (laughs) that is true um and and, you know uh, my closing statement to this whole record is that i found a a a lyric um i'm sorry a a a line from uh one of his old managers named bob cavallo and the guy said like prince you can't be both Elvis Presley and Miles Davis. You got to pick one because yes, part of him was trying to write hits or at least commercial music. The other part of him was doing things like commercial blue. And then elsewhere down in his career, he's going to be doing really experimental stuff. He even hated the word when people said experimental. He hated that. He said, experimental sounds like something unfinished. You know, that's not what I'm doing here, but I think on this album, purple rain, he managed to fuse. He's like, no, 
I can both write hits and I can also experiment. And this record is a perfect meld of those two sides of the brain. Like you don't get elsewhere. Like I go through the top 50 selling records of all time. You're not going to find a lot that have some of the weird ass experimentation that goes on in this album. And that bleeds it perfectly into the song craft. Uh, Great, great work. I am just, uh, I've listened to this album countless times now, and I'm always impressed with it. I hear different things every time. Uh, there's parts of it that really pluck my, my heartstrings. And it's, uh, pretty impressive that this guy who then went and made albums for like 30 more years, he nailed it so early in his career. Um, what do you guys think overall about this album or our overall rating? Eric, what do you think? Well, what's our, what's our rating measure? What's what, uh, how many we're going to go tonight. I'd like to know on a scale of one to five. Um, well, let's, let's just stick with what works. Well, how many purple bananas are oh, you giving this thing? Good, Fantastic. <laughs> fantastic. I'm going to give this bad boy four out of five bana- purple bananas, four out of five purple bananas. Uh, every song is notable. Every song is actually a, a, a crest of eighties pop. There are some production flubs. I do agree with Mark on that and we can get into it more, but um but uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's fantastic. And, and, and it's where pop, what you said, pop meets experimentation. Um, they were doing this kind of synth heavy pop rock thing, but where it was live and exciting and, uh, the songs really meant something. And, and his songwriting was, was sharp and clear. And, uh, uh, I can listen to this all the way through many, many times. So four to five purple bananas for this boy. Yeah, definitely. When this album ends, it's easy to start over. I can also say the same for the title track. I've listened to the title track like, oh, purple rain's done. Let's go through that all over again. But you can say the same thing for the whole album. Uh, Mark, what is your banana-ing? Give this bad boy a four and a half purple bananas. Um I think every song on this album is an all-time classic. I didn't like I didn't dislike any one song off this album. It was strong straight through. Yes, some strong songs are more classic than others. That goes without saying. Um but let me tell you, uh everything uh took me by surprise by how well I enjoyed this this album. I essentially didn't give it the perfect rating um, just because of that production value. I was expecting a little bit more warmth behind it. And at times it did feel a little thin, a little cold. Um, And Prince is such a phenomenal musician. um, It seemed that he wanted to showcase his vocal prowess a little bit more so than how well he can play the guitar, how well he can essentially play any instrument that you throw at the man. And it was at times it felt like an eighties production, but it needed a little bit more um, timelessness to it. And 
even though the songwriting itself is timeless, I would have liked to also see that same attention to detail and care also put forth in the mix and the production work. But I mean, that is such a nitpicky thing of me. It's just, it's a classic album and that is my one thing, but maybe that was the intention that he was going for. It's the Prince sound. And um, I look forward to actually exploring more of his work to see if maybe um, something like what I'm looking for is found in another record, but all in all classic album with classic songs. Yes, I definitely, and I'll suggest a few other, I that I think Mark, knowing your musical sensibilities, you'll like a few of his other albums uh, that I've been uh, dove into. Um, we'll talk about that a little bit before we close. And uh, one thing I do want to say to your point about uh, his ability to play the guitar and the guitar being low in the mix. That is kind of an issue on this album, but I don't think that we talked enough about how well he is in the guitar tonight. Um, I, I, there's just something like the way that guy does guitar solos. And if you watch him live, he would do this. He would like when it was time to play the guitar solo, he'll let a note ring out. He'll take stock of the situation and then he'll go in with a quick fill. Stop, take a breath and then really go for it with the guitar. Like, he would he would like let you get ready. He's like the guitar solo is coming. Hold on a second, think about it. All right, the guitar solo is starting right now, and he would do that all the time. It's really awesome, weird, playful approach to guitar soloing. Uh, I've used the word playful a lot tonight because the guy he was a, a an enigma. He he could be super serious, but also always like winked a lot at you. Um to your guys's ratings of the record. I'm right there with you. I'm going to give it a 4.5 uh, bananas or bandanas. Um, what stops it from being a perfect is it's just, you know, we've done a lot of albums we've discussed in this show in the perfects, you know, when you hear them and there's just something on this album, which is near perfect to me, which makes me hold it back to the 4.5, which isn't to say I can't listen to it all the time on repeat. I mean, Shit doesn't need to be perfect to be great. But I think that knowing how much he would tinker with things, and even though this is the ultimate vision he put out, and he is the artist, so we need to respect that. I do think that maybe there's a version of this record that maybe has a couple more spots that are fleshed out, or maybe another song added that really brings it all home. I'm not quite sure what I'm looking for in regards to that to make it feel a little bit more complete, but it's like at a 95%. It's right there uh, with, with the, how great it is. And you can't deny all these songs are great. Um, there might be like two 20 second passages in this album where I'm checking my watch. If that it's not even the right term. Uh, my point is usually I'm fully engaged to this record. I'm listening to it. It's hard for me to passively listen to this, even though it's dance music half the time. I still am fully engaged by what's going on in this record for the majority of its uh, duration. Um, it's just really impressive. I, I can see why it's a classic and I, and I actually, what makes me like it even more besides the way it sounds to my ears is I do like being in tune to something and appreciating something that so many other people did. Uh, our podcast started out with us being nine inch nails nerds. And then David Bowie nerds. Everybody likes David Bowie. Most people like Nine Inch Nails. But it is kind of fun to think of, appreciate something that everybody seems to be into. Like I, I just, uh, 
every once in a while, it's fun to be, you know, get, uh, I don't the phrase like be part of the gang is what I'm looking for here, but I think you guys know Steve, what I mean. The majority, point, like, you, you know, you we have very broad like this. Who doesn't like bottomless fries at Red Robin? <laughs> there you go. Something, something like that. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, a great thing is fun to appreciate with everybody. It's fun to appreciate the thing that everybody else seems to be into. Well, I think it's nice when and, it's actually good. Well, I don't. Because so much stuff permeates pop culture yeah. that's just kind of like flash in the pan. All right. Yeah, it's catchy. I'm not going to begrudge it, but it's not. It's not. It's not going to get its hooks in. But it's nice when something's actually fucking great. Yes, a great thing that permeates pop culture is timeless. And even people from Detroit to the state of Jefferson might all all appreciate it. And I don't know some of the Jeffersonians. You you know you know that you know. They put purple rain on. Too. They have to when they when they but, smoke uh, that purple kush. Yeah, great album up there. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, uh, further listening, and Eric, we'll get to the bonus tracks in a second. It's gonna be our last thing before we roll the dice. Uh, further albums uh, to anyone out there. I mean, I think a lot of our listeners probably know about as much about Prince than I do, if not more. But I've really been into the uh, the 80s works. Those are the ones I, I've listened to the most. I've tried to explore further down the line, and I, I think I will, uh, based off some of Sly Dog's uh, recommendations. Um, and the, the ones that I really... Uh, uh, sign O the Times. Sign O the Times. It might be of the Times, but it looks like it's pronounced O the Times is a, a really good, really good, diverse album that came out uh, in the late 80s. And the title track off that one is awesome. It's a great commentary. It's got a lot going on, on in it. And uh, also, uh, I, I think Controversy is a really fun album. That one predates Purple Rain. Those two would be the two I suggest anybody that like wants to do any further studies that are similar to the sound of purple rain. Like you're not going all the way off into the stratosphere of some of the more experimental works. So sign of the times and controversy are the two I would suggest checking out next. Speaking of checking out things next, there is a, uh, the album that we all listened to for this was the Paisley park remaster, which has a bunch of bonus tracks. We're not going to go into all those, but there are a couple that I specifically wanted Eric to bring up because he loves that shit. So Eric, out of all those bonus tracks, what uh, what's worth digging into? So one thing I noticed right off the bat is that before Prince decided on the Purple Rain theme for this album, like the movie, uh, I think he wanted to make a you know, follow up 1999 with like a, an album about the end of the world and just, just partying until the end. Like the first track you get on this bonus disc is dance electric. And that's a 12 minute song, uh, 11 minutes. It's, it's a jam nonstop. And it's, you know, dance, dance electric. Um, listen to the rhythm of your soul. Dance, dance, electric, love each other. It's almost time to go. It's it, once again. It ties right back into that. Let's get crazy. 
like the world's gonna end. Let's let's enjoy ourselves as much as we can before it before it ends. I really do feel like he was gonna make an album about that before he kind of pivoted. Um, and Dance Electric is a is a blast. It's uh, it's repetitive. I mean, he sings that same thing probably 30, 40, 50 times, and it gets stuck. It's to get stuck in your craw. But but uh, it's 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 uh, what I really like about Purple Rain is he's got this live rock funk rock band. And they're playing live for these nice songs on the album that obviously fit this kind of pop sensibility. These bonus songs, they just they just go out, they they just expand. They go expand. We already talked about the electric blue. Obviously, I love that. Check it out. Um, Dance Electric, fantastic. A um, couple other songs worth noting is uh, uh, yeah, Possessed uh possesses is a is a pretty fun one it's it's very axel foley it's very much <laughs> axel foley uh beverly hills cop a full-on electronic track um but the but his vocal delivery is great on that wonderful ass my god that song should not be as good as it is and it is and it, apparently prince and lisa co-wrote it because they were both dating uh melvoin's melvoin sisters uh lisa was dating uh probably i don't know wendy and and prince was dating yeah. the other one and they both had fantastic asses apparently and they wrote a song about it susanna <laughs> and then a uh, uh, weird aside their brother was johnny melvoin who was in the smashing pumpkins and unfortunately passed away in the 90s oh my god yeah that's right that's true uh that's that's awesome um velvet kitty cat is very simple but very catchy and and uh just worth it to just hear uh prince uh very much in the raw we can fuck is a 10 minute song it's it it does definitely uh scrape the outer limits of tolerance for repetition but uh you do do hear the band doing great things and um uh, I highly recommend that. Uh, the further discs have like remixes and edits of songs. I've already kind of talked about that, uh, but you do get Erotic City, which uh, the Make Love Not War Erotic City mix is fantastic. Uh, that song is great. Uh, that also has a weird science feel to it and great vocal delivery. And uh, uh, you get Another Lonely Christmas, which we talked about. Um, but anyways, the, uh, bonus discs, discs are fantastic. Jump on in. If you like that expansive kind of live funk band sound of the album. That's all I got on those. Fantastic. And, uh, that will conclude our episode where we listen to purple rain. Eric, what will we listen to next? What is next? Let's find out. What is six? Number six. It is an album nominated by Eric. It is an album released in February 1985 by the artist and band Killing Joke. The album is called Nighttime. Don't you be 
Fantastic. Oh boy. All right. All right. Nighttime. We are we are taking this is a interesting path we're charting. I love it. Absolutely. All right. And uh we did not grease the dice, but uh it just sort of happened to work out um that Eric gets the next pick. It'll be an interesting uh episode and I'm looking forward to it as I don't really have a whole lot of background in killing joke. So, uh, Eric, get ready to school us, Professor. Oh, yeah. And expect a lot of uh, uh, extra credit as as they have so many different uh, eras of sound that you, it's, it, it's more enjoyable if you understand where they were and where they go. But night nighttime is such a perfect album. So, yeah, can't wait. Fan, fans that came here originally for Nine Inch Nails, I'm sure they'll enjoy it because there's a influence there. It's true. Well, excellent. Well, thank you, Stephen, for piloting the ship as we uh, went through Paisley Park in all of Prince's Purple Rain. Um, looking forward to Eric taking the wheel and going to the gritty streets of London as we talk about Killing Jokes Nighttime. Um, but uh, as always, this has been Mark. Eric. This is uh, Steven. Excellent. And we are Pod Like a Whole. And we hope that we brought you closer to Pod. Pod.